So this Sunday, we're carrying on celebrating our birthday month. It's uh, 22 years since this church uh, began and six years since Lynn and I took over as the senior pastors. If you were here a couple of weeks ago, Nicola Neal gave a wonderful talk about, amongst other things, what the vineyard means to her and her family. And last week, James Tweets, one of our assistant pastors, gave a great talk about what we do in Storehouse to help those in need in our community. And this week, it's my turn. So I've been trying to think, what can I do to make our birthday month memorable? Something significant and world-changing. And then last week, I found the answer. Apparently, a pastor in Florida recently made the Guinness Book of World Records for preaching the world's longest sermon. (laughs) He preached for 53 hours and 18 minutes. So I ask you, would you like to be part of an attempt to beat that? To reclaim the title for Great Britain? What are you doing between now and next Tuesday evening? (laughs) Whatever it is, cancel it. And just in case one or two are not as keen on the idea as I am, the venue managers are now locking the doors, even (laughs) as we speak. So this guy's name was Zach Zender. Sounds American, doesn't it? Zach Zender. And apparently he did it to raise money. I can see one or two are thinking, I'd rather pay for Steve to speak shorter than to speak longer. Who prefers that option? Thank you for your confidence. So I ran this idea past the ever-loyal staff team, and they suggested some alternative world record attempts that they thought I would probably be better at. Uh, For example, they said I should go for the world record for the least funny jokes in any one sermon. Play to your strengths, they said. (laughs) Or, go for the most times you say, and finally, before actually stopping. (laughs) Or, how many you can beat the traditional three points by. And apparently the world record for that uh, is 27. Can you imagine me saying, and now my 27th and final point is... We might not be a Pentecostal church, but I think that that would probably get a few hallelujahs. Um, Assuming, of course, that you believe me when I said, and finally. But what I would like to talk about this morning in all seriousness is why I personally love the vineyard. I could probably beat Zach's 53 hours talking about that, but uh, I'll try and stick to 25 minutes. Uh, Less is more, as they say. So I want to start with some kind of general vineyard values that all vineyard churches share. And then I'd like to finish with some things that I love about Aylesbury Vineyard in particular. So the first thing that I love is the way that the vineyard is aiming at the best of what it means to be both people of the word and people of the spirit. Trying to bring together the best of the evangelical tradition with its love for the Bible and the best of the Pentecostal or charismatic tradition with its love for the Holy Spirit. There's a phrase that you may have heard, all word, no spirit, and we dry up, but all spirit, no word, and we blow up. 
So inviting the presence of God and practicing the presence of God is really important to us. But so too is teaching the Bible and doing that well. Not just telling people the Bible says, but more importantly, helping them to understand what the Bible means and what it doesn't mean and why. Helping them to understand the difference between the timeless truths in the Bible and the time-bound wrapper in which those truths come to us. Helping us to explain an unchanging gospel in ways that make sense to people living in today's world. How Jesus is the answer to questions that people actually have, not just questions we think they ought to have or they used to have. Using language and concepts that you don't need a religious dictionary to make sense of. And the thing that we really want to be doing every single week in every single talk, whether it's 25 minutes or 53 hours, is explaining over and over again in many different ways who God is and what he's like, his nature and his character, and how much he loves us and he welcomes us and he invites us into a relationship with him. Because, of course, everything else flows from that. The next thing that I love about the vineyard is our understanding of the kingdom. And that's not our understanding in the sense of it being unique to us. It's actually the way that most Bible scholars now understand what Jesus meant when he talked about the kingdom. It was just that the early vineyard and John Wimber in particular brought that understanding out of the academic world and into the world of ordinary Christians. And it's a way of understanding the kingdom that makes sense of a couple of things that often puzzle people. One is that Jesus said the kingdom had come, the kingdom had arrived in this world, in him and his ministry. But he also said the kingdom was still to come in the future. In fact, Jesus told us to pray for the kingdom to come in what we call the Lord's Prayer. But as well as that, he told us to be doing the work of the kingdom now, just like he did, healing the sick, driving out demons, and setting the captives free. What John Wimber called doing the stuff. And we make sense of that with a little catchphrase, that the kingdom is here both now and not yet. It's here already, but not yet. So it's kind of both and, not either or. So we experience the first fruits of the kingdom now, but not yet in all its fullness, which will be when Jesus comes again. So we are receiving a kind of deposit now, or a down payment now, on what is to come. So we see some of the same fruits of healing and God moving in power, but we don't always see that happening in every situation. And this theology of the kingdom explains why some are healed now, but not everyone is healed now. Because the kingdom is here now, in part, but it's also not here yet in all its fullness. So in the meantime, our job is to be praying expectantly, as Jesus told us to, but ultimately to leave it to him and to trust him for the outcomes. Because in this world we experience not yet moments 
as well as now moments. So in the vineyard, we don't believe in the idea of claiming healings or claiming anything else for that matter because we don't see it as being all about our faith as if it's some cosmic force that can make things happen. We don't see having faith as having faith in a particular outcome. We see faith as being much more about faithfulness. Always to pray, always to keep on praying and keep on believing in what is possible because we have a good God. And we keep on believing in that goodness, whatever happens. So we rejoice in the miracles and the healings that we do see now. And we trust him and we continue to believe in him when we don't see them yet. Because it's not all available to us now. The next thing that I love about the vineyard is how we welcome people to come as you are. We don't see it as our job to correct people and certainly not to judge people. According to John 16.8, that is the Holy Spirit's job, not our job. James 2.13 says that mercy triumphs over judgment. And what I think that James meant by that is that we do the mercy and we leave it to God to do the judgment. Because I don't know if you've noticed this, but by and large, the church doesn't do judgment very well. Even though some Christians seem to want to specialise in it. And if you've ever felt judged by people, then you'll probably know what I mean. Of course, that doesn't mean that we are soft on sin. It's just that we don't see it as our job to be telling people all the things that are wrong in their lives. We let the Holy Spirit be the one who speaks to people and who convicts them if and where things may need to change. Romans 2.4 says that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance, not the big stick wielded by other Christians. Now all of us will of course stand before God and be accountable for what we do and how we've done it in every area of life. So we can leave all that up to him. But in the meantime, we are called to be shepherds, not sheepdogs. The only exception to that, by the way, is that if someone is a danger to other people or behaving in ways that are harmful, if it's a safeguarding issue, then we will come down on them like that proverbial ton of bricks. Because everyone can come as they are, but that doesn't mean that everyone can do as they like. And that leads me on to the next thing that I love about the vineyard, which is that everyone gets to play. Uh, if you look in the entrance hall, you'll see it on the staircase wall leading up to the church office. So we get reminded of that every day. And when I, when I first heard that phrase, to be honest, I didn't like it. I think that I was a bit too pompous or a bit too religious. Because I used to think, this isn't a game. We're not playing. This is the Lord's work. But I was missing the point. Because the kingdom is not about what people like me do. It's about what all of us do. Ephesians 4.12 says that God has put leaders in his church to equip the people to do the work of the ministry. Not to just employ an elite bunch of professionals to do the work for them. 
The reason that Lynn and I tend, by and large, not to pray for people on a Sunday morning is uh, not because we don't like doing it or because we're no good at it. Uh, it's because we don't want anyone to think that it's in any way about us. Just because we lead the church or we may be the speaker. We don't want people to think that we have some kind of special powers or special anointing. Because we don't. Anyone can pray for people and see God move just as well or better than we can. In 2 Corinthians 12.9, God says, My grace is sufficient for you because my power is made perfect in weakness. So my advice is on a Sunday morning in the ministry time, go and ask the weakest person you can find to pray for you. Now, I don't recommend that you tell them that's the reason you've asked them to pray for you. But it is basically what everyone gets to play means. The technical term, if you're interested, is the priesthood of all believers. But I think everyone gets to play sounds a bit more fun, don't you think? You see, in the vineyard, we don't put anyone on a pedestal. We don't talk about anointed men and women of God, special ones with special powers. And we don't pile up superlatives about ourselves, gifted, anointed, prophetic, apostolic, or whatever. You see, none of us have anointing resting on us. So if you think you can see it on someone, it's probably just dandruff. <laughs> none of us have anointing, but we all have access to the Holy Spirit. It's all about him and not at all about us. And that little attempt at humour that uh, two of you laughed at, um, <laughs> thank you mum and dad for coming today, that reminds me of something else that I love about the vineyard, which is yet another catchphrase. We believe in being naturally supernatural and supernaturally natural. In other words, we believe that Christians should be both supernatural and natural at the same time, and all of the time. Or put another way, we don't have to be weird to be spiritual. We don't have to be a little bit off with the fairies. That's a technical theological term, by the way. We don't have to move out of this world and move into another world. And, and this idea that, that sort of does the rounds a bit in Christianity, that there is a natural world and a spiritual world, and sometimes we're in something called the natural, and sometimes we're in the spirit, that idea is what's called dualism. And it comes from Plato and Greek philosophy, rather than from what we find in the Bible. We should be both natural and supernatural at the same time because God has made one integrated creation that's both natural and spiritual at the same time. Naturally supernatural and supernaturally natural. So we can keep things light. We don't need to hype anything. And as much as we love emotion, because of course you can't love without emotion, can you? At the same time, we don't need to do emotionalism. There's a great little story about John Wimber who began the vineyard and 
He's about to speak at a conference, and there's this bunch of leaders with him in the green room, and they're in awe of this great man of God, and they say, Mr. Wimber, please tell us how you prepare to minister so powerfully in the Holy Spirit. And Wimber says, well, usually what I do is to have a couple of Diet Cokes. (laughs) Thank you. Now, I don't think for a moment that that is all he did, okay? But what he was trying to do was to wean these people off the idea uh, that that it's hype and and this dualism, this idea that it's about formulas and techniques and special people who aren't at all like you and me, who frankly aren't really of this world. So in the vineyard, we leave God to do the supernatural stuff, And we just try to be ourselves and to be ordinary and not to get in the way because it is not at all in any way about us. And that's why sometimes we'll introduce a bit of humour or in my case to try to introduce a bit of humour just to make sure that we're not hyping anything and that whatever happens, it is God who's doing it. So we just say, come Holy Spirit. Which brings me on to something else that I love about the vineyard, and and that is the way that we see leadership. For us, leadership is all about being a servant. Now, from time to time, Lynn and I get people coming to us and saying, I believe God is calling me to have a teaching ministry. And we say, that's lovely. Um, Where are you serving at the moment? And if they say... Well, actually, I'm not because my calling is to serve by preaching and teaching. Then, frankly, we're probably not that interested in whatever it is they want to say. When we're looking for leaders, we start by looking for who's serving. The people that we want to hear from are the people who get it in terms of being a servant and people who get it when it comes to giving and contributing. You see, it doesn't matter what any of us is ultimately called to do. For all of us, it starts with being a servant. And we never stop being a servant. We never graduate away from it. Serving is not just a short-term stepping stone to something bigger and better. Uh, To be very honest, we're really not that interested in people's gifting. We're very interested in their character. Uh, John Wimber used to say, if you want to know who people are worshipping, ignore what they do in the service. Look at what they do with their time and what they do with their money. So we would say, never follow any church leader who isn't a servant. So if Lynn and I are not serving people in the ordinary things as well as the so-called spiritual things, the things that need perspiration, not just inspiration, then I suggest you don't come to our church. Find another church that's led by people who do. In Matthew 20 and Mark 10, Jesus said that whoever wants to be great must be a servant. In John 13, he washed the disciples' feet. And washing the feet was the job that was given to the very lowest servant, the one at the very bottom of the household pecking order. And that, of course, was the one that Jesus chose. 
Sometimes I wonder which rotors Jesus would be signing up for on a Sunday morning if he was here. So let me finish with a, a few quick things that I love about Ellsbury Vineyard in particular. Starting with, I love our worship. And we are so blessed to have so many gifted musicians and worship leaders. We can't fit them all in to our four regular bands. And the reason that worship is so important to a vineyard is because we don't see it as just a warm-up act for the preaching to kind of get people ready for the main event. Because to us, the preaching isn't the main event. The presence of God is the main event. And the worship is every bit as important, if not more so, for us to encounter God on a Sunday. And that is why we encourage everyone to try to be here for the start of the service. Not very successfully, you may have noticed, uh, but we do try. Because we expect God to move and to speak and to heal during worship every bit as much as he does during the preaching or during the ministry time. Now you may have noticed that in the vineyard we tend to talk about worship rather than praise and worship. Not because there's anything wrong with praise, but what's been happening in the church in the last 30 or 40 years, and the vineyard has been at the centre of this, is a rediscovery of worship as encountering the presence of God not just declaring truths about God. And that's why our lyrics are mostly talking to God, not about him. That's why we tend to have simple words and simple melodies. And it's why we often repeat those words so that they're able to sink in. That's why we close our eyes, because we're kind of on a journey into God's presence. And that means we don't have to look at the screen all the time. It's why our worship leaders don't talk between the songs or during the songs so that we can each listen out for what God wants to say to us, not just what someone on the stage thinks God wants to say to us. Another thing that I love about this church is that you are so welcoming to people. You don't just come for what you personally can get out of it. You see, we don't want to be a church with a great welcome team. We want to be a church that's great at welcoming. We don't want to be a church who talk to guests and visitors because we have to, in case Stephen Lynn might be watching. We want to do it because we really want to. A church for whom blessing other people on a Sunday morning is what makes our day. A church who see ourselves as contributors in the kingdom, not just as consumers. So, so you may or may not know we have something like 50 people serving here every Sunday. And because we've been growing, we often end up with gaps on the rotors. So some of you, I know, often will step up and serve for both services because we don't have enough people unless you do. So I'd like to say publicly, thank you so much for doing that. A bit like uh, Vineyard Kids, good example of that, where if people don't step up, then sometimes we may have to send children away, which we don't want to see happening. And we're so grateful for everyone who does serve so that others are able to be in here. And that is, in fact, what Lynn is doing this morning in Vineyard Kids. But, you know, the thing that I most like... I most love 
about Elsbury Vineyard is you. Because it isn't me and Lynn that make this a great church. Having the name Vineyard on the outside of the building doesn't make this a great church. The only thing that makes it a great church is you. When the Apostle Paul is talking about the church in Ephesians 4, he says it's the whole body fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part that causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. It's what every one of us supplies. It's the proper working of each individual part. Not just the pastors, not just the staff team, but all of us. It's what we all do. It's what you all do that makes it what it is. And do you see in this verse that that is what makes the church grow as well? We don't build it up in love. It builds itself up in love. So what happens from the stage on a Sunday morning is just one very small part of it. Me and Lynn are just a small part of it. So the next time you hear someone saying, the church should be doing this or the church should be doing that, instead, why don't we do what Isaiah did? Why don't we say what he said in Isaiah 6, 8? Here am I, Lord, send me. Why don't we be the solution to the stuff that we're failing in? There's a great little saying that we got from our friend Jason Clark, um, who's senior pastor at Sutton Vineyard. And he pictures the church as like a, a rowing boat on a river. And he says he's always interested in hearing from someone who's in the boat rowing with them. But he's not very interested in someone who's just standing on the riverbank shouting instructions. And then finally, and when I say finally, I really do mean finally. And actually, I'll, I'll prove that by asking James if he could come back with some of the band. Thank you. Finally, I absolutely love how we are not only a diversified church with old people and young people and singles and families and male and female and adults and kids and youth. But I love the fact that we've also become a multicultural church. And I am so happy about that. We see in the book of Revelation that heaven is made up of people from what it calls every tribe and tongue and nation. And so too should the church be here on earth right now. Jesus said we should pray for your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, unfortunately, that doesn't automatically mean that Lynn and I have much idea how you lead a multicultural church. We feel fairly useless about that, actually. Because I guess we all tend to default towards what we're familiar with and what we're comfortable with, don't we? And culture's a good example of that because it's easier. But what's easiest isn't always what's best, is it? And especially when we're talking about modelling something special for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of being the kind of church that I think Jesus wants us to be. So what I can tell you is two things. Number one is that we absolutely want to do 
whatever it takes to learn how to do that better. And number two is we're very conscious that we need all of us here to help us in that. That we need to learn from you. We need to be learners together. If you saw this week's weekly email, you, you may know that we have, next week, we have Peter Tate coming as a guest speaker to help us to be more aware of culture and how culture affects all of us without us even realising it. It's a bit like how um, a fish doesn't know what water is because nothing else has ever occurred to it. So as well as next Sunday, we're also going to be investing in a couple of training events on a Saturday morning and a uh, Monday evening to help us understand and get into that a bit more. So I hope you'll be available and you'll come to one of those uh, when we give you the dates. So can I invite you? Let's learn about this together. And for my part, will you help me to understand where I need to change in order to make it happen? Because I think we have an amazing opportunity that God has gifted us with to build something that is a bit different here. Something that models that kind of church that I think Jesus has in mind. But it will need all of us to join in to help us to make that happen. So whether this is your first time here at the vineyard today or your hundredth time, I hope that I've been able to paint a, a bit of a picture of just some of the things that I love about this little expression of the kingdom and some of the things that we're trying to be and to do at Aylesbury Vineyard. As John Wimber used to say, we're just one of the vegetables in God's big casserole trying to be and to do the kingdom in the ways that we best understand what that looks like.